Today on the No Sitting on the Sideline Dad podcast, we answer that question, what is a good way to have influence in connection with your child? We answer that question next with my guest, Sharon Selby from SharonSelby.com. Next on the podcast, let's do this. Welcome to the No Sitting on the Sideline Dad podcast, a podcast about a journey of discovery and conversations about not sitting on the sideline of life. Let's get involved. Here's host Joe Foley. Hey, welcome to the podcast. Hey, my name is Joe and I'm a dad and a parent. I really want to say thank you for being here. I know as a dad and a parent, time's limited, so you've taken time to listen to read means a lot. And this is your first time, welcome. This is a podcast about our journey of discovery and a conversation what means to be us, really. Dad, parent, mom, busy person. I want to have topics and discussions related to what we go through, being a productive person. What I'm hoping to have is a weekly podcast to get dedicated to a sense of community. What I mean is, seriously, guys, I want to talk to you. Leave a review. Go out to Apple iTunes and and leave a review on the, and review for the podcast. I know we're all going through some issues. I know being a dad, and being just being a single dad, a divorced dad, it's not easy. We're, we're busy, <laughs> very busy. I'm not an expert. I'm just a dad on a journey, just like you, trying to figure this all out one day at a time. And if you have a minute, like seriously, you have a minute, head over to Apple Podcasts and subscribe to the podcast. That would mean a lot to me. Next up, my interview with Sharon Selby from SharonSelby.com. Sharon is a registered clinical counselor. We talk about, I think, about childhood anxiety. And it's very interesting because we come to topics like avoidance, um, anxiety, that was one of them, and um, and also accommodating. That was the other word, too. It was very interesting. So let's jump right into the interview. Today on the podcast, my guest, Sharon Selby from SharonSelby.com. She's a registered clinical counselor and works with ch- children, teens, and families with childhood anxiety. Welcome to the podcast, Sharon. Thank you so much for having me. Let me get to know you a little bit. Something I like to do in the beginning of most of the interviews is I ask that one question. My question for you is, what is one thing you like to do with your family during the wintertime? Well, we love to ski. We're very lucky because we live only an hour and a half from Whistler, so we love to go up skiing when we can. Do any of your children snowboard? Uh, My son just took his first lesson over the holidays. He's 12, and he's ready to hang up his skis and switch over to snowboarding. One thing, a quick question I want to ask you is, what is childhood anxiety? What's the definition of it? That's a great question, and I think it's a good idea to do a definition of anxiety first because a lot of people ask me, what's the difference between being nervous or anxious or having fear? And there are differences. So when you're nervous, we all get a bit nervous sometimes, and that's you know just natural. Um, but it doesn't impact our daily life and interfere with our living on a really consistent basis. And then fear is when whatever is happening is happening right now, and there really is something that is dangerous or an emergency or something of high-level concern. And and it's happening right now. Anxiety 
is when you get those feelings, but it's actually not really happening. I mean, it feels like it's happening in your body, but it's a perceived threat. So you might be thinking about what could happen. What if such and such happens? And so because you're imagining it happening, your body gets those same feelings that it does when there's true fear. So that would be how we define anxiety. The one I can remember, I can give an example of my my situation about overcoming fear and anxiety. I mean, I did acting when I was younger, and I remember going on say, but before going on stage, you're like scared out of your mind. Your stomach starts turning and twisting. And you feel kind of like you're going to be sick, and all of a sudden you jump on stage, and and what the heck was I scared about? Mm-hmm, exactly. It's like it's an illusion and you build yourself up to believe that it's true. But what you did by facing your fear is exactly what we want to do with anxiety so that we disprove it. Like you said, you know, at the end you were like, what? That wasn't actually that scary and probably was kind of fun. So we actually have to disprove the anxiety to be able to shrink it. What is an anxious child? What are the, some of the signs and some of the symptoms and some to look out for? Mm-hmm. So anxiety shows up in different ways and it depends on the individual. Um, one key factor would be that the child's doing a lot of avoidance because, as I just mentioned, it's better to be facing whatever makes you feel uncomfortable. But of course, it's much easier to avoid. And in the short term, that gives you relief. And so you just think, well, that's the answer. Now my butterflies have gone. Now those stomach aches are gone. But unfortunately, when you keep avoiding, that fuels the anxiety and then your anxiety gets stronger and starts to pop up in other areas of your life. So avoidance is something to look out for. Uh, If your child is asking a lot of what if questions and imagining the worst case scenario, that would be another sign that they have a lot of anxiety running through their mind. And, um, you know, really it's an anxious child is looking at the world through a very fear-based lens. And back when our ancestors lived in caves, we had to live like that. There were predators everywhere and you were always on alert. But nowadays we don't need to be in that constant state of alert. And yet for some children and adults, of course, um, that's how they see things and that creates a lot of anxiety. Something you said, it kind of fascinates me. It's um, avoidance. And my question is, can that carry on through to adulthood? Absolutely. I mean, you know, we probably all heard of stories where somebody's not even really able to leave their home. Like that's how bad it can get where you can't get on a bus or you can't go out to a job and you just become more and more secluded. And I see this, you know, with the teens I work with, if they haven't had any counseling support for anxiety and by this point, you know, they don't want to go to high school. They don't want to leave their house. They don't want to meet up with people. And it's a very isolated life. So it's really important that when we do see signs of anxiety, we get help right away um, or at least turn to resources for help so that we can catch it early and stop it from snowballing. Some about anxiety and um, avoidance. Is that a hereditary trait or is it a learned habit? Yeah. So there's definitely um, science to show that there can be a genetic link with anxiety. So quite often an anxious child will have at least one parent who gets uh, more anxious. Uh, It can also happen just because of 
you know, experiences in their life. And then we also have found that the more sensitive a child is, the more prone they are to anxiety because they just feel things so much stronger. And they're also, the sensitive kids are the ones that are like the, have the antenna on them and they're always scanning the environment. That's interesting. I had a cool question. How can you tell if a kid's a real sensitive? So a sensitive child, well, they have big feelings. So quite often, um, they're the ones that can hold it together at school. And then at home, they let it all out. They can be some of the most stubborn and strong-willed children. Um, but really, it's because they are feeling their feelings so strongly. And they've gone into fight mode. You know, we have this part of the brain called the amygdala that goes into fight, flight, or freeze. And so when that gets activated, you know, they, they really think they're under attack and the amygdala is trying to protect you and says fight. And so, you know, they'll fight back or they'll freeze and refuse to move, refuse to go anywhere. A sensitive child is also the kind of child who is like the emotional barometer for the room. So even if somebody's not getting mad at them directly, they will feel that energy in the room that somebody's in trouble or somebody's angry and they'll feel that in their body and it will really impact them. Sometimes uh, they'll also, especially when they're younger, have had sensitivity to one of our five senses. So they may have, you know, been very startled by loud noises when they were a baby. And there's actually tests that have been done to show the different temperaments of babies to show that it's not, you know, environmental. There's, there is this uh, biological component where they've startled babies on purpose to see what happens. And some babies just, you know, don't react at all. And some are really, really startled by a unexpected noise. And then um, certain foods could have been a problem. Uh, textures like tags in the back of your t-shirts or seams on your socks and not getting the socks on right could be a really big deal for one child and not for another. So all of these kind of factors tend to go together for sensitivity. I was reading one of your blogs and the word came up to me was accommodating. I was wondering if you could talk a little more about that. Yeah, so I think we're parenting in very different times these days, and I think it's you know a really good thing. Uh, in the past generations, there was much more of an authoritarian approach. You do as I say because I said so, and you know if you misbehave, you will be spanked and you'll be punished, and you know in some cases beaten, and and you know all these things that we now know are just absolutely not healthy for the child's development. So now we're much more focused on connection and attachment and this is wonderful and really really important but because we are so much more attuned to our child when they're in distress we feel their distress and of course as a parent you want to relieve it and so we start to make these accommodations and so by accommodations that means allowances or enabling and we don't even realize we're doing it sometimes. But your child is saying, you know, I'm scared to go upstairs without you. Will you come upstairs with me? And you're like, oh, okay, then I'll come upstairs with you. And then next thing you know, you're always having to go upstairs with your child and they can't be on a separate floor from you. And so that would just be, you know, one example of an accommodation. But it's where you're having to do something that's out of the ordinary to relieve your child's angst. 
two things actually accommodating that I think have come to my mind when we're talking about this is my son. He, um, since he comes over to my house, I have him since the recent divorce and stuff like that. I have him for every other weekend and usually a couple of days around the week. And when he needs to use the bathroom, he always like, daddy, come in here, please. Cause he's afraid, he's afraid to go to the room and wants to know where I am. And the other thing too is he, somehow when I put him in his own bed, he always ends up in my bed. And I don't mind because I feel bad because when the divorce, he seen me leave the house and I want, you know, I feel bad because he seen me leave and I don't know, maybe he wants to know where I am and, and keeping a track of track of me. I just, that's something I feel like. Mm-hmm. Well, it definitely sounds like he's having some separation anxiety. Do you mind if I ask how long ago you got divorced? I left the house about a year ago. And how old is your son? He's four years old. Okay, so he's young and the divorce is, is still relatively recent. So, and the thing with the accommodations is you can't just immediately stop accommodating cold turkey because it's it's got to be more of a gentle weaning off process. Um, it sounds as though this is separation anxiety. And so what you would need to do is just choose one thing first. So probably the bathroom one would be an easier, uh, what we call target. And so the idea would be to explain to him that our mind can play tricks on us. And so, and this is actually, I know we're going to talk about my new um, book on children's anxiety, but this is exactly what my book is teaching young children so that they can be aware of these thoughts before they take a strong hold. So your child is four, so he's he's young, but I have had success being able to teach this to four-year-olds. Normally, you know, it's a little easier when they're five and, and up. Uh, and again, depends on the child. But you want to teach them that all our thoughts are not real. And so what we do is we have to externalize those thoughts and give those worries a name. So in my book, I call it the worry imp because imps are little mischievous characters that like to play tricks. And so it's sort of like we want to make it into a game. We want to make it lighthearted and we want to say, you know, oh, it's that worry imp. It's playing tricks on us again. And of course, we want him to realize the worry imp's imaginary. It's not really in your head. Um, but we want him to realize all our thoughts are not real. So sometimes with the children in my office, we have a vase with artificial flowers in it. And I'll show them the flowers and ask them, what do you think about these flowers? And they'll tell me all kinds of things. And they have no idea they're fake. And then after I say, you know, come and touch them, come and smell them, come and see this water is not really water. It's just gel. And they're like, oh, I thought they were real. Like, yes, exactly. And this is what happens with our thoughts. Our thoughts are so good at convincing us that they're real, but actually they're not. Like, what proof? So this is your next step is what proof? What evidence? Be a detective. How do we know that you being in the bathroom by yourself is not safe? Like, think of the millions and millions of people around the world using their bathroom right now, and everything's fine. Has, you know, anything, and I'm assuming that he's not had any bad bathroom experience. Okay, so then, you know, has anything ever bad happened to you in the bathroom? No. So then you just have to start this very gradual weaning off process, but you have to show you're on his team. Not that you're going against him. So you guys are on the same team against the worry imp. It's like, okay, we can't feed this worry imp anymore. So 
you know, I want you to stand in the bathroom for five seconds and I'm going to be on the other side of the door and we can even count to five together and then come out of the bathroom and we're going to have a high five or a hug and yay, we're one step closer to beating the worry. Thank you. Uh, that's actually a good um, piece of advice. Actually, next time he's with him, I want to use that. Another thing I was thinking about as we we're talking and it's about childhood anxiety and, um, what do you mean back in the day when we did something wrong, you know, mom and dad would discipline me like smack in the back of the head or we get spanked. And, and, um, and I was, you know, cause you did this wrong. We're going to, you're going to get three spankings or you did this wrong. You did four spankings. Well, you know, it's a perceived threat. I was wondering if maybe there's a better way of dealing with that and the, the use of, you know, for discipline reasons. Absolutely. I mean, it breaks the trust, right? It breaks this connection you have with your child. And the best influence that we will ever have with our child is based on how strong our connection is with them. And so if you start hitting your child, you are absolutely wearing down your relationship. And, you know, sure, it might seem to be working on the outside when they're younger, but as a teenager, then you're just going to lose control of your child and you're not going to have that relationship with them. So connection is the most important factor. And if a child feels really close to you and connected to you, then they want to be good for you and they want to please you. They don't like it when they know that they've upset you. But that doesn't always work, of course. So then we have to know how to set limits. And when we set limits, they have to be connected. They have to be logical. You can't just randomly throw out, you know, you're grounded. That doesn't work. So um, what I find, you know, I guess is the best general one to give you because everything's so specific to situations. But if you think of it as damage and repair. So if your child does something that's breaking some kind of rule and you want him to learn from that, then you explain that, you know, whatever you've done has caused damage. And so now there needs to be repair. And this is a law of life. If we accidentally break a window on a door when we're, you know, playing with a ball, even if it was by accident, we have to repair that window. In our roads, if there's a pothole, they get repaired. It's just how life goes. There's damage and repair. And really, we're showing them that you make amends. And then what works is that if you keep doing this when they're teens, you're now putting the responsibility on them. And you do that when they're kids too. With kids, you have to guide them more and give ideas as to how they can make amends. But when they're teens, you say, you know, you have broken my trust. You borrowed my car. You said you'd be home by midnight. You weren't. You broke the curfew. Uh, you didn't text me. So, you know, logical consequence, you aren't going to be able to use the car for a week or however long. But you need to make amends because that broke my trust. And then it's up to the teen. So I've known teens say things, you know, after they've had time to think about it, but say things like, yeah, you know what? I realize I shouldn't have done that. All right. I will mow the lawn for you or I'll make dinner for you or I'll do the vacuuming. And so when it comes from them, it's more meaningful. Plus they're not bitter and they're not revengeful and you keep the connection intact. If you just say to your teen, you know, you broke the curfew, you didn't bring the car home, you didn't text me. Now you're grounded for a month. Well, now the teen hates you. They don't take any responsibility for their actions and you've lost your connection. Yeah, that power connection. I mean, I want to keep that with my son. I know that's an important thing because down the road, 
I want to be able to talk to me. I don't want to do not have a communication with me. I mean, I guess it's a good way to build a good foundation. It's so, so important. I always say to parents when they're in distress and they tend to be focusing on all the behaviors, I say, okay, but what is, what is your connection right now? And they're like, oh, we have none. The whole family's, you know, yelling at each other. We're all in crisis. Like, okay, let's just focus on connection first and then we'll start to work on behavior because that will follow. One thing I want to get before we get to the book is something about, um, I was thinking about is, Kids have to deal with social media nowadays and in the sense that um, there's so much more stress on them, I guess. Back in the day when we went to school, you know, you got picked on, you go home and didn't follow you. But now with there's so much extra stress with Facebook and all those stuff, kids can't get away from it. I was wondering if we could talk about that. Yeah, it is really impacting kids and definitely increasing their anxiety. And part of the problem, as you say, is it doesn't leave you. So, you know, you can go to school and have a bad experience or get excluded at school. And then you come home and you go on your Instagram account and you see all these photos of somebody's birthday party and you weren't invited. And so then you just feel that exclusion all over again. Or you look at the photos and you think, oh, they're prettier than I am. They're cooler than I am. They have a better life than I do. And of course, everybody just posts the best moment of their life. And especially the kids tend to Photoshop their pictures until they look as beautiful as possible. So it's not even real life, but you start comparing yourself, which is always dangerous. And it creates such high anxiety. And and sadly, you know, Instagram, some of the kids as young as grade two are starting to use it. And really, the legal age is 13. I guess a good uh, transition to your Kickstarter book, the um, Surfing the Wary Imps. I kind of like the cool little owl on there, surfing. <laughs> but I was wondering, what was the inspiration for that book? So I um, specialize in treating anxiety and I've been counseling for 20 years and I run groups uh, to teach children how to manage their anxiety as well. And so everything that's in the book is what I do with my one-on-one clients as well as in my groups. And it just works so well with the kids in my office that I wanted to be able to have a bigger reach because child anxiety is on the rise. We're seeing the highest rates than we've ever seen before across North America. And I truly believe that if we could start teaching children these skills at a young age, we could really curb these statistics. And you don't need to be a counselor to start teaching children about how their thoughts work. The counseling part is when you need to get clinical and things like that. But the initial educational piece is something that teachers can do, that parents can do, and it's not intuitive. So we need to be teaching it and be proactive. So I wanted to make a super fun book with really great activities and fun illustrations so that it would be engaging and really get kids on board for beating their worries. I also, actually, I like that, actually, the digital aspect of it. And I see a little tablet. What is that all about? Yeah, so with the book, there comes a free digital discussion and activity guide. And basically, that is like an ebook of all the information that you need as an adult to be able to cover all the concepts in the book with your child. So the book is just a children's story, but along the way, there's a group of campers who are getting tricks played on them by the worry imp. And then the wise owl 
that you uh, commented on on the cover, and the wise owl's assistant, the seal, are the camp counselors. And so they teach the children the 10 wise thinking tools that they need to overpower the worry imp. And so that's the, the story. But then the digital guide gives parents and teachers the extra information just to give them the confidence to be sure that they're teaching the concept and that their child is mastering it. It also has recorded meditations. It also has some of the arts and crafts activities, extra worksheets, certificate of completion, um, lots, lots of things in the guide. I was wondering if you could possibly share one or two of the tools you use in the book. Absolutely. Yeah. So the first tool is asking yourself when you feel worried, is this a true alarm or a false alarm? So as I mentioned at the beginning, when we start having all these what if thoughts and we're imagining the worst case scenario, then it's as though we're experiencing true fear. Our body doesn't know the difference. That little amygdala in our brain acts on instinct. So it can't tell if this is real or not. So we have to use the thinking part of our brain, the wise owl part of our brain, to be able to say, is this a true emergency or is this a false alarm? Can I call 911 about this or not? And if it's not a true emergency, then we actually have to do the opposite. And that can feel kind of scary. But as you mentioned, you did it when you were younger doing acting and things like that. And once we get children understanding that this is how we hold on to our power and this is how we don't get the power sucked out of us by that worry imp, then they get excited. So I had a child in my room who was seven and she had a lot of fears and anxieties around germs. And so once we went through all these concepts, we started practicing and then she would um, suddenly start touching my desk and I'd say, oh, what are you doing? And she said, oh, the worry imp told me not to touch your desk. So I'm just going to go ahead and touch it. And we'd have high fives and we're like, yay. I said, how about the door handle? Any thoughts on that? She's like, oh yeah, the worry imp said, do not touch the door handle. I'm like, okay, let's go. And so we're touching the door handle. So, you know, you make it fun, but you have to show them this is not a real emergency. This is just a false alarm and your body's all mixed up and it's getting the butterflies and you're shaking and all those things because it thinks it's a true emergency. So that's the, that's the wise thinking tool number one. And then I'll just do one more. The second one I mentioned for your son's case with the bathroom is being a detective. So you have to look for evidence. What evidence is there that this worrying thought you have is actually true? And really, most cases, there isn't any evidence, especially that's not happening at this very moment. And so, again, that helps them to get back to reality and break free from the illusion of anxiety. I can remember when a kid, you know, when we're growing up and and um, the problem is probably like, an, you know, it's a simple problem. But as a kid, we just, boom, make it a big problem. And it's funny is... In our minds, our minds playing tricks on us because you know, we know it's an inch big, but we we tend to make it bigger than it is, and you know, and we avoid it. And you know, something interesting is if you just push through. Maybe we know it's on the other side. 
Absolutely. And the reason why we're seeing so many young people, adults in university and college who are struggling, there really are high rates of depression and anxiety and dropout rates because they're not resilient. And to be resilient, you have to be able to face adversity. But if you always avoid adversity and you don't learn how to face it, you're not going to build up resilience. I guess final thoughts, anything um, you want to leave with a parent, kids who deal with childhood anxiety and also where they're going to find you. Yeah, well, so you mentioned my book and my Kickstarter campaign. So for your audience, I don't know if they know Kickstarter, but it's like a GoFundMe platform. And so it's a campaign to decrease anxiety in children. And then if you contribute and donate to the campaign, there's different reward levels. And then, of course, one of the reward levels is being able to pre-order an advanced copy of my book and the free accompanying digital discussion guide. And so normally the book will retail for $40 Canadian, but right now on Kickstarter, it's just $25 Canadian. So even cheaper for your American audience. And then there's other levels as well, and, and you can contribute as much as you you know wish. So uh, the idea is that I plan to print 1,000 books. They will get shipped out uh, end of February, and then you will have your resource that can you know teach these skills to children as young as age four or five, and then I recommend the book up to age 10. And also as parents and teachers feel that you have a guide to support you along the way. So to find me on Kickstarter, you can just Google Sharon Selby Kickstarter, or you can go to my website, which is Sharon Selby com. I will make sure all the things we talked about will be in the show notes for this episode. Thank you. Thank you so much. We're almost, my goal is to uh, fund this project with $12,000 and we just crossed the $10,000 mark uh, this week. So that's really exciting and it's getting closer and closer to happening. Any final thoughts you want to leave a parent? Any parting advice? Yes, I think to realize that when your child is anxious, to know that this is not willful. They they actually can't control what's happening to themselves at that moment. A child doesn't really want to be anxious. It's not a, a good feeling and it's not really a place you want to be in. But when that terror takes over, you are locked in fight, flight, or freeze. And it's just so hard to calm yourself down and get out of it. So I do also on my website have a free ebook called The Eight Common Mistakes to Avoid When Your Child is Anxious. And that could be really helpful for your audience as well, just to realize, you know, how anxiety operates and what we want to do to support our child versus make the anxiety worse. And yeah, just to be really on the lookout for it know that it is really treatable and and catch it early. That's my key message. Thank you, Sharon. Thank you very much for being here on the podcast today. I really do appreciate it. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. Well, that's all I have for this episode. I want to say thank you for joining me with the No City on the Sideline Dad podcast. Also, head up the door. I want to say thank you to Sharon Selby for being a guest on the podcast. You can find more about Sharon over at SharonSelby.com. Also, check out her, check out her Kickstarter um, book that's over at kickstarter.com leave that links for that that book will be in the episode give her a hand if you if you really like it and 
It's actually really cool. The name of the book is Surfing the Worry Amps Wave. And it's about helping kids with childhood anxiety. It's very, very helpful. And it looks like it'd be a really good book to help discuss childhood anxiety with your kids. You can find more about the show and links over at nosittingonthesideline.com slash 44. Please comment on the podcast. All comments help improve the podcast. And please reach out. If any questions or comments, show, tell over the show notes. Have a discussion about what we talked about today. I'll leave a review. Or if you have a minute, right in the right-hand corner, right there. Right there. Ha-ha. Leave a review. Speed pipe. Say hello. Because you know what? I'd like to talk to you, too. Also, next episode, my conversation with Tom Schwab. He's the man behind Interview Valet. We have a discussion about divorce and blended families. It's another episode of that, but it was it was a very, very good episode, and I think you'll enjoy it. Well, until next time, have fun. Get involved with your children. Give them a hug. Your time means everything to them. You know, also the connection. Because you know what? They need us. <laughs> until next time, take care. God bless. See ya. Thank you for listening to the podcast. Please subscribe to the newsletter to receive updates of the show and helpful and useful tips. This has been a production of Foley 42 Media. Foley 42 Media.